is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Now, here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Happy Thanksgiving weekend, happy shopping, and happy kickoff to the 2018 holiday music season. I'm Rachel, here with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie, and it's time for the Mulberry Lane Show. We'll hope your Thanksgiving rocked with family love, good friends, tasty food, and stellar music. Mm-hmm. Bo. Well, glad you're here with your radio sisters. Mega stuff in store for you in the next hour. All you got to do is keep it right here. And like a roller coaster, you'll ride that creative process and experience the ups and downs of a musical career with the artists and celebrities who live it every day. So buckle that seatbelt. You're about to leave the station. And what a ride we're about to have, right, girls? <laughs> totally. Okay, sisters, what's on the agenda today? Let's get to those guests. <laughs> the Mulberry Lane shows on. Celebrity story songs. You're going to have it going on when we tell you who's stopping by now. Well, up first, you're going to meet New York Times bestselling author, Mary Higgins Clark. Now, she's been a bestselling author for over 30 years, and her latest novel is called You Don't Own Me. Now, Mary Higgins Clark is called the Queen of Suspense, and we are so happy to have her on the show today. Yes, she's going to give you some very concrete examples of suspense in writing. So she's the master for sure. And you're really going to be charmed by her honesty. She also shares how she stayed creative through all seasons of of life from raising five kids to now her first great-grandchild. That's a lot of years of creating best-selling books. You're right, Rachel. Okay, who's up next, sisters? You guys are going to hang out with vocal group 98 Degrees. Well, Jeff Timmons, one of the founding members of 98 Degrees, is here to tell you all about their holiday album, Let It Snow. Now, this chart-topping foursome have sold over 15 million records, and Jeff is here today to tell you about how the guys have grown and matured together, and they've kept the harmony through it all. So spend some quality time with Jeff Timmons of 98 Degrees today. And don't forget to catch 98 Degrees when they come through the heartland on November 29th. They're bringing their Christmas tour to the Orpheum Theater in Omaha. Okay, sisters, who's up next? Then it's Emmy-winning composer Silas Height. He wrote a soundtrack just for your dinner party. Woo! His volume one, Sounds for a Dinner Party, is out now, which features some of Height's most imaginative and adventuresome playing yet. Now, you've heard his stuff before on Netflix Chef's Table. He's also composed for Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and American Pickers. He has scored hundreds of commercials for Apple, McDonald's, Chevy, and that's where he earned his Emmy. He's got such a diverse career that he's contributed music to some of the top-selling video games out there. He shares a lot of his secrets of how he broke into the composing world and whose idea it was to compose a soundtrack for your dinner party. Great concept right there. 
Well, we hope you had an awesome Thanksgiving. And Rachel, thanks for hosting the fam. Oh, I loved it. And before we take you to break, Rachel, you've got a story. Yes. Earlier this week, pretty early in the morning, I walked out into the kitchen, had just gotten the kids up. They were getting ready for school. And I look out and I see this big dog in my backyard. Now, this is the dog that I see my neighbor walking almost every day. Okay. And my neighbor is all of about five foot tall. And this dog is a Akita. So it's a very furry, big, strong dog. Got it. So I'm like, oh no, the dog's out. And then I see my neighbor chasing this dog in my backyard. (laughs) So then I watched for a few minutes, you know, and she would just grab the leash and then the dog would take off again. And I thought, well, you know, I didn't want to open the door and, you know, scare the dog away and make things worse. So I just kind of watched this happen a few times and I thought, ah, I'll grab a treat and I'll go out there and see if I can get him. Okay. So I open the door and then one of my dogs gets out. Oh no. So my dog is tearing across toward her dog and fortunately my dog has a leash on. So I grabbed her leash. So I'm wrestling with my dog trying to catch her dog and she's trying to catch her dog. Then eventually I did grab her dog's collar. She had the leash and she attached it on and we both looked at each other, you know, like, oh, you know, we had really accomplished something. Sigh of relief. What yes. a crazy thing. So I just have to mention that this neighbor, she has just this beautiful puffer coat on and a hat and, you know, her makeup's on and she looks absolutely just put together. I walk into my house, I look down at myself and I have big fleece flannel pajama bottoms, a crop t-shirt on one foot I have one of those muckluck slippers and I couldn't find the matching one so I had a navy blue fuzzy sock on my other foot so I'm like I'm hoping in all the commotion and chaos that she didn't notice what I was wearing well I think she's more gonna think wow that's a really nice neighbor to come out looking like that to help me I'm a good neighbor and from now on I'm gonna make sure I've got nice pajamas on and matching slippers. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> okay, well, when we come back, you're going to meet the queen of suspense, best-selling New York Times author Mary Higgins Clark is here with us. We don't want you to miss it, so meet us right around the corner here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Woo. Meet the celebrities on your radio station. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, she's sold over 100 million books, has been a New York Times best-selling author for over 30 years, and she's joining your weekend to let you in on her secrets to writing a good suspense novel and tell you all about her latest book with Alifair Burke, You Don't Own Me. Now, Mary Higgins Clark is considered the queen of suspense, but we think she is also the queen of following your creative passion throughout your life. Welcome, welcome to the show, Mary Higgins Clark. Well, it's lovely to be with you, and I always enjoy our visits. Thank you. Ah, good to have you. Yes, so now you have to give us a synopsis of this brand new book. All right, I'll make it brief, but I hope intriguing, if that's the word. Good. Uh, Laurie Moran is the producer of the television series called Under Suspicion. The reason for the title is that she has five or six people on her program, all of whom are suspected of murdering someone, but it has never been proven. And in this book, 
the parents of a murdered physician come to her and beg her to get their ex-daughter-in-law on the program because they're sure she is the one who murdered their son. She agrees to take on that case, but when she starts to investigate it, she finds out that the murdered physician is not at all the person he appeared to be. And the more she gets into unraveling the mystery, the closer she comes to being murdered herself. Wow. And that, you don't own me. Okay. So now you have written suspense nearly your whole life. So what makes a good suspense novel? Well, it's a good question because the first writing course I took, my God, I was 22. I learned more in that semester than I ever needed to know from anyone else. But the first thing is to intrigue the reader. For example, a shot rang out in the night is the definitive, as a joke, but it's true, the definitive way to start a book. Because if you start it in too leisurely a fashion, then people will drop away. For example, when I was in a writing group many, many years ago, there was one gal who wrote beautifully. She had someone wheeling his bicycle out to go into town, and he's talking about the leaves and the trees and beautiful poetry. But I don't know why he's going into town to rob a bank, to kill his mother. (laughs) I, I don't know. By the time I get there... I'm not interested. Uh-huh. I said to my friend, the way to start it is, when Tim wheeled his bike out of the garage, he took a look back. He didn't know when or if he would return to the house uh-huh. or have the chance to return to the house. Uh-huh. Then we want to know what Tim is up to. Right. That's so awesome. So now... Does that come naturally for you now, after writing, you know, for all these years? Do you just think in suspense terms? Well, yes. In fact, someone said, where in the name of God do you get these ideas? Actually, it was my husband. (laughs) I was a widower. We were married 22 years ago. Uh And he said, I read some of your books before I knew I was going to meet you. And he said the first one starts when someone is buried alive. (laughs) What kind of mind does this woman have? (laughs) Diving into the mind of the queen of suspense herself, Mary Higgins Clark is here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You dedicate this book to your first great-grandchild, and you're the epitome of a woman who stays creative throughout all seasons of life. And as creative women ourselves, and we know a lot of creative women listen to this show, so many of us, you know, we juggle motherhood and the demands of family. So how have you managed to juggle all of that, stay creative, and, and true to your passion? I always wanted children. You know, I was always dressing dolls when I was 10 years old. Uh When I was married, I wanted six. I did get five in 10 years, but then my husband died. He had a very bad heart. So the sixth child was never born. But I thoroughly enjoyed having a family and then my grandchildren. And now William Warren Clark is three months old. And, of course, an absolute joy. 
every woman thinks that her child or grandchild or great-grandchild is the only baby ever born, the smartest, the cutest, on and on we go. So it's so much fun to go into another generation. Yes, yes. So when you had your five children, you were writing all through that time, right? Oh, yes. I was always writing. And did you carve out time in the day to do that? Or did you just write when it was convenient? Well, you see, you have to make the time convenient. In my case, because I was writing radio shows for a living after my husband died, I would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and work until quarter of seven, at which point I had to feed the kids and get them on school buses and go into New York. For me, it was the best time in the world. Even the dog didn't bark. It was perfect silence. And I just go down to the kitchen table, make a strong pot of coffee, turn up the heat, and sit at the typewriter. And I got more done in those quiet times than I could have achieved in a week of just getting it in at night or getting it in somewhere. Mm -hmm. You need that peace and that concentration, or at least I do. I love that. And I love that your dog even knew that it had to be quiet. (laughs) Yeah, I just had to write. As I said about singing, the fairy godmother comes and grants us gifts at the cradle. The one who might have made me a singer was not in town. The one who might have made me a chef was missing. Although, God knows, I fed five kids and raised them, but never anything but the basic stuff. The one who might have made me so a fine scene, she was out of town. My girls reminded me that their school uniforms were scotch-taped. But the one who showed up was the one who said, you must be a storyteller. And I'm awfully glad she was the one who came to the cradle for me. The whole world is very glad that she was the one who came to the cradle for you. And we want to thank you for joining the show today. The book is You Don't Own Me. Mary Higgins Clark, we could talk to you forever. We love what you brought to the show today. And take care. Happy holidays. And hopefully we will chat soon. Happy holidays to you and enjoy every minute of them. And then, of course, may the new year be joyful. Absolutely. It was an honor to have you on our show. Oh, thank you, Allie. Thank you so much. Mary Higgins Clark here on the Mulberry Lane Show. What an author, what a lady. We'll meet you right back here with Jeff Timmons of 98 Degrees to kick off your holiday music. Keep it here on the Mulberry Lane Show with your radio sisters. Meet the celebrities on your radio station. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, the guys of 98 Degrees are taking it down to a chill 32 degrees this holiday season with their album, Let It Snow. Now, this Grammy-nominated, internationally acclaimed, multi-platinum selling group has sold over 15 million albums and is currently on tour. Now, Jeff Timmons, one of the founding members, is here with you right now to chat about their musical journey and the way that these four have kept the harmony and soul in the band throughout the years. It's time to chill with 98 degrees, rhythm, soul, and harmony. 
Wow, what an introduction. I really appreciate that. Well, congrats on your success as well. I mean, uh, to be able to do things as a group and be sisters and travel all over the world like you guys have done is uh, pretty incredible. So I'm honored to be on the show. Uh, Thanks, Thanks, Jeff. Great to have you. Okay, so now you guys, 98 degrees, you've never broken up, you've gone on hiatus. So what factors into the decision to take on a new project? We've enjoyed each other's company and sewing together in the last six years. I mean, I think we came back five, six years ago on uh, tour with New Kids on the Block and Boys and Men. And uh-huh. then after that, we went on our own tour. We called the My 2K Tour, which was really enjoyable. And we thought what would be better than maybe, you know, we had extraordinary success with our first holiday album. And it's 18 years later. We thought, let's do a volume two to match that <laughs> first one. And, and now we're on tour again, and we're having a blast. I mean, we're pleasantly surprised at this turnout for the tour because it's quite different than your traditional concert. It's more of a theatrical setting. Okay. Okay. performing our theater. We're the only act on it. It has intermission, and it's an altogether more intimate show, so we're pleasantly surprised. The fans have turned out, and they've been amazing. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. So now, talk about a few other differences between touring, you know, 18 years ago and now. Well, first of all, we all have families, so that's quite a bit different, you uh-huh. know. None of us is singling and mingling anymore. Right. All, you know, <laughs> well, with the exception of Justin, you know, we're living vicariously through him. But yeah, okay. we, uh, we're all married with kids, and our lifestyles are altogether different. A couple of years ago, we each had our own bus and brought our families on, and that was pretty tough. You know, it's tough on the kids and strange hours and, yeah. and all that good stuff, but it was thoroughly enjoyable. I mean, everybody had a blast. We got to go to 50 different cities and experience things that normal kids don't get to experience, so that was uh-huh. nice. But, you know, look, we're back on the bus together. I think now it's just a little less raucous and crazy, but we, we still have a lot of fun. I bet. How have you managed to continue to get along through the years, or has there been ups and downs in that? Uh, of course. I mean, you know how it is. I mean, we do. Our family, just sisters, and you were in business together, and they're like brothers. I mean, we're like a family, and you know, you go through ups and downs as a family, and then a family that works together, you go through the rigors of uh, this business, which is very tough. But right. through the years, you adopt uh, to everybody's personalities. You understand people when they need space or their intricacies or whatever. And I think we're just more mature. We have a lot more respect and mutual respect uh-huh. uh, for each other. So, now, how do you deal with like creative differences? Because I can imagine, you know, you might be in the mood for a solo project, but then maybe a few of the guys want to get together. How do you sort out all of that? so everybody gets to kind of do what they want to do personally, but yet still keep the group in focus? That's a great question. We've always managed to kind of find the proper balance. I mean, after being on the road for six years straight, you know, we were all sick of each other. We wanted to get away from each other, do our own thing. We uh-huh. did that for quite a while and develop our own careers and our families. And now that we've come back, we just figure out when we can do stuff together, when our schedules permit. And if not, we go on and do things on our own. Okay. Um, when we get the studio, you know, we've always vibed and respected each other's talents. It's not always, you know, completely seamless, but we definitely have a, a way to solve our creative differences in a very amicable way and in a constructive way, which a is really, we're, we're really lucky. Yeah, we're yeah. really lucky we've been able to do that. Right, because yeah. that's kind of rare. Not everybody can. So right. Now let's talk about Let It Snow. When you record now, do you guys all get in the studio <laughs> together or do you, you know, record where you guys are at and, you know, share the tracks and how? How does it work for you guys? Well, well, this one was quite different than the others. Um, we all have very different schedules right now and living in different places. So I don't think all of us were in the same studio more than a couple times. You know, okay. and, and technology nowadays, you don't have to be. So you can go in, cut a bunch of songs, you know, go edit the vocals, trade files online, you know, mm-hmm. live out like that and send constructive criticisms or creative changes that way. So we did it in a pretty efficient way. We feel like the body of work is pretty impressive. We're happy with it and feel that it's comparable to the first Christmas album. How do you decide on songs? 
we each came up with a list of our favorite songs, okay. sent them around, and you know anybody that was uh, strongly opposed to them, those are automatically crossed off the list. And then we found ones we mutually agreed on pretty quickly. And then you know the producers that we worked with were amazing, and they had their own input on some things they thought we would shine on songs like The River and, and things like that, which turned out to be a fantastic, one of the best songs of the record. Okay. And do you have a favorite? Obviously, the single season of Love is pretty cool. It's a little bit different. It's upbeat. It's definitely contemporary, and it sends a message of, you know, you can spread the love and keep the vibe out, not just during the holiday season, all year uh-huh. round. So, uh-huh. I mean, I think the message with that song is really great. But there's several songs on there that I feel strongly about. I think the arrangements, especially the acapella stuff, really has a shine vocally, and, you know, they're just overall very, very happy with the album. There's a lot of diversity on there. There's a Beach Boys cover. There's a Chuck Berry cover. All of the different genres of music kind of covered in this one piece of work, and we're very happy with it. That's neat. You're listening to Jeff Timmons of Harmony Supergroup 98 Degrees here on the Mulberry Lane Show. When you guys originally came out, you guys put yourselves together. You were, you know, working together as a, you know, vocal group among a bunch of bands that were put together by producers. But you guys were the real deal. So how did you differentiate yourself? Was that a difficult time? Because everyone probably assumed you were another boy band. I mean, at first it was a little bit difficult. I mean, certainly those other groups, although they were put together, are the real deal. I mean, you know, several talented guys in those groups, but uh, and we have a, a ton of respect for them as well. But, no, we put ourselves together, and, you know, look, we based ourselves on harmony-based music. We were heavily influenced by Motown, that sound, you know, primarily boys and men, and groups like Take Six, and, of course, there was some doo-wop influence in there. We were signed to Motown, so we kind of considered ourselves a vocal group, and at first we shied away from that boy band moniker, but, I mean, you can't complain about being lumped in with extraordinarily successful bands like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC that are known all over the world, selling millions of records, so we sort of uh, took it in and was happy to be part of that whole ride and that whole uh, genre. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. You know, you do have a family, and I know things have been really busy for you. You know, there's always the promotion and everything that goes along with it. So how do you decide at this point in your life what you say yes to and what you say no to? That's a great question, and I, and I think you're just a little bit more selective. You know, in the past, we used to do everything, anything and everything. You know, we knew that there was tons of competition, and, it, you know, it was our shot, and, you know, we're definitely a blue-collar type of group where we work really hard. Uh-huh. So we did everything. I think nowadays, not everything depends on 98 degrees. We all have different things that we're doing, and it, it's always family first. So, you know, we're a little bit more selective on it. We're fortunate enough that we get to see our families quite a bit on the road. We're able to balance it. I mean, I can't complain about any of it. It's all worked out great, you know, for us to be still uh, accepted and embraced and being able to live our dream and thrive with our passion 20 years later is a true blessing. And yeah. to have your family around and be able to find that balance is great. It's amazing, yeah. And I have a, I've got an amazing wife. She takes care of business when I'm not home. Between the two of us, we have five kids that we take care of. And, you wow. know, when I'm on the road, she's sort of over there doing that job, you know, as well as being a mom and, and taking care of things on the home front. So lucky to have her. When you're on tour like that, it does. It takes a full support system to get the job done. That's right. You all know how it is. I mean, if you don't have the support in your personal life, it's really hard to get anything accomplished. So I'm very, very lucky and fortunate in that respect. Right. And that you found her. I have one final question. How do you guys stay well, especially being a Harmony Group touring during flu and cold season? I got to tell you, we've been struggling with this this whole tour. I've sort of had a little bug this entire entire tour so far. I've been sick the whole time. I've been trying everything, the apple cider vinegar, the, uh, you know, we've been doing the Z-Packs and Make all those packs and yes. trying to get as much sleep as we can. And, you know, look, during the holidays, it's sometimes tough. But 
finally starting to recover from all that stuff. Yeah, I'm feeling it's good. so hard yeah. Yeah, to, to stay well. It really is hard. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, Jeff, we want to thank you so much for visiting with us, and we'd love to have you back in the next 98 Degrees Project or Solo Project. Thank you so much for taking the time. I totally appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks Jeff. That's Jeff Timmons of 98 Degrees. Check out Let It Snow. We'll be back with up-and-coming composer Silas Height. Keep it right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Don't let this go away. Make it feel like Christmas every day. the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Emmy Award-winning composer Silas Height, whose credits include Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs, has created a soundtrack for your next dinner party. Volume 1, Sounds for a Dinner Party, is all about the joy of family and friends gathering around the table. Hear what inspired this album as Silas joins your weekend right now. Welcome, welcome to the show, Silas Height. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. So now this is such an interesting concept. I love it. So what inspired doing a soundtrack for a dinner party? Because you've done soundtracks for movies and composing for other things, but this is for like our dinner parties. So what inspired this? Yeah, my wife, actually. It was okay. her awesome idea. Okay. <laughs> her credit. We live together in Los Angeles, California, and we both work from home. I have a studio that I've built here, and she has an office, and we love to put on vinyl records to kind of set the mood for whatever we're doing. And we have, like, a lot of 60s Exotica records, and, you know, in the 60s they had albums that were, like, songs for a cocktail party or songs for a pool party, things like that, where it was, like, a specific activity. So it's kind of a throwback in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So the music isn't retro, but it's kind of that idea. Now, Uh I've scored a lot of food-related movies and TV shows. For example, Chef's Table on Netflix is kind of a big one. It opened my eyes to how people are really into foodie culture these days. The music I wrote with that was very beautiful, lots of strings, kind of elegant. And so this record, in a way, is a, a reflection of that musical mood where it's kind of elegant, but this is a bit more playful, and it really sets the mood for a dinner party. Also, the idea was to do something that's detached from film or television, and it's uh, about providing a soundtrack for a real-life event. Right. I love that. So now you're a multi-instrumentalist. So which instruments did you play on this, and are they all real instruments, or is some of it... Yes. Okay. It's all live players. So I played mandolin, banjo, guitar, Wurlitzer electric piano. I whistled, um, whistled some crazy parts on there. I played a ton of different percussion instruments um, because I have a background in that. Uh And then I brought in string players. So there's five live string players, live upright bass. There's some live woodwind players. Oh, I also played accordion on it. So yes, it's all live instrumentation. It's sort of soundtrack-ish, slightly classical, I Uh guess but um, more adventurous and kind of fun. It's a smaller ensemble, so it certainly doesn't sound like an orchestra. It's more of like a fun film score kind of feeling. Okay, so how long did this take to record? Probably to write and record uh, six months because I had to work around projects for clients, like scoring TV shows and commercials and video games. Okay, so now when you're doing your own projects versus doing projects that you're hired for, is it harder to get your own projects done? 
Well, yes, because <laughs> there's no one demanding deadlines right. or anything. And, uh-huh. Yeah, and I just release this stuff myself. I don't have a record label or anything like that. I just choose to fund it myself and do it that way. And so I'm the only one cracking the whip on myself. Right. But uh, fortunately, I'm, I'm able to do that. And I really enjoy writing uh-huh. you know, music for myself, so to speak. So it's not that hard. But yes, it does get backburnered when I have clients that are like, we I, need things tomorrow. I'm you sure. Know? I'm sure. So now you have a business background also, right? Yeah. In college, I studied music, art, and business. I kind of felt like I would need that to be successful. Uh-huh. And then would you recommend that for other music-based people? Yeah. I think having some business background is helpful, certainly for promotion and marketing It really helps also being comfortable looking at contracts and reading through that and have some idea of what's being offered. Yeah, it's a good thing. Emmy Award-winning composer Silas Haidt here on the Mulberry Lane Show. So how do you balance, personally, the creative side and the business side? I mean, you can apply some creativity to business in terms of, especially like marketing and promotion, you know, Uh coming up with creative ideas, obviously. But a lot of times it's just being dedicated and being like, I want to be successful as a creative person so I can continue to spend my time doing creative things. Right. Therefore, I have to spend the next couple of hours doing, you know, business related things, looking at contracts, sending invoices, things like that. But, you know, I think looking at it as that does allow me to spend most of my time creating. Okay. So you what know, would you of, say is the breakdown of time you spend like on the business side of things, the marketing versus mm-hmm. the actual creating? Well, now that I'm pretty established, I don't have to spend that much time on business. So I would say it's more like 90% on music. But when I first started, I worked at a studio with my uncle, Mark Mothersbaugh. He's a composer. He was in the band Devo. And he's a very successful film, television composer. And with my uncle, Bob Mothersbaugh, also works there. So I was working there. I worked my way up from intern to composer. You know, I had lots of great projects there. And then after about seven or eight years, I went freelance. Uh And so when I first went freelance, I really had to spend most of my time trying to build up my business, getting new clients. So it was, you know, more like 90% of the time was business and 10% was music. Uh And then as I got more clients and repeat business, then it started to shift more towards more creative. Uh Now, did you grow up with a classical background or what was your your influences growing up? Uh, more country and rock and roll. And in fact, I write a lot of like Americana music. I have a band called The Satin Cowboy and The Seven Deadly Sins. And I'm that's <laughs> the next that. project that I'm doing. So no, I do a lot of stuff that's not at all classical. Um, it just so happens that that felt like the right vibe for this, for this record, one. for Sounds right. for a Dinner Party. Uh-huh. But I did study music in college, so a lot of that was classical. But I mean, I also write in, well, you name it. Because I score so many commercials and television shows and films, I have to be versatile, whether it's rock or, you know, modern hip-hop or jazz or whatever. You know, I have to be good at it. Right. So now when you've scored for commercials, what's the turnaround mm-hmm. time for something like that? Often the same day. Okay. Normally, I have to write quite a few tracks in a very short amount of time. You know, sometimes it's 24 hours, sometimes it's a few days. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just depends. Are you good under pressure like that? Does that get your creative juices flowing more than if you have more time? (laughs) It does. Okay. Yeah, I think that part of why I'm able to keep up with so many projects and still do things on the side also is I work very quickly now. And I think because of all the deadlines, I've learned to write very quickly, mix quickly, produce quickly, not indulge in too much second guessing things like that okay and so be able to how kind of did you get nail to that? the vibe how did you get to that point you know mm-hmm. our show is listened to by a lot of creative people and a mm-hmm. lot of creative people have the same issues and one of those is you know getting mired in self-doubt so how have you gotten yourself yeah. to the point where you can just move on and say okay good enough let's go 
I think that having just so many deadlines and having to blast through projects so fast for clients has just trained me to work quickly. Yes. You know, it's setting deadlines for yourself and also realizing that spending an extra two months wondering about something or thinking about how it could be really isn't going to help it in the end. And it's better to just get things out there. I'm not saying that you should half-ass something or just speed through it as quickly as possible, but there is something to be said for getting it done, getting it out there, and nothing is ever perfect in the eye of the creator. It's a great quote that I'm going to mangle, but it's basically like, good art is never finished. It's just left behind to make more great art, you know? So, And I do think it's helpful to have other people to bounce off of when you're creating, and that helps you to be like, okay... Let's get through this so you don't get mired in self-doubt. So having a partner that can help, that, that can be helpful. Yeah. Now, for our listeners who might be aspiring composers, you know, you hear things from maybe music schools growing up that like the pathway is studying hard and like getting into a really top music school and kind of going the mm-hmm. traditional route. Do you feel like, you know, being on the other side of things and being a successful composer, do you feel like that is an important part or do you feel like you can make it anyway and there's just not one route? I think that getting into a good school or studying with good teachers is more important if you're looking to be more of a performer, like a session player. And if you're more interested in actually just being a composer, and maybe you do play on things, but it's not so much about getting hired to play. It's about writing the music. I think that you do need some training, some schooling, but no, a degree isn't going to get you a job as a composer. It's really about being able to craft interesting, cool music. And, you know, there's plenty of people that can do that without a music degree. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so valuable for people to hear who are, you know, looking to go on that field. Yeah. Although I will say going to school, I think you do learn quicker uh, because there are deadlines. And I, I love studying instruments on my own. But I know that if I actually just sign up with a teacher, I will get better quicker because you have deadlines, there's some sort of curriculum, there's a structure, there's the pressure of I have to do this. And so I often do um, take lessons on different instruments, not because I want to be great at it or, you know, a virtuoso or anything, but just to understand it better and to unlock some more creativity. Let's say cello, for example. I took some cello lessons because I write for cello quite a bit and I wanted to know more about it from the player's perspective. My point is if you actually do get some schooling, I do think you will improve quicker. It'll make your journey faster. Right. Gotta take a quick break. Be right back with more from Emmy Award-winning composer Silas Haidt. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You're just about ready to get back with Emmy Award-winning composer Silas Haidt, hearing more about his brand new album, Silas Haidt, Volume 1, Sounds for a Dinner Party. A perfect album to put on for your next dinner party. Let's get back right now with Silas Haidt. So now when you go down to your studio and you have a big deadline and you absolutely are dry on ideas... Does that ever happen to you? And if it does, what do you do to get yourself back in the creative flow? You know, I don't really, that doesn't really happen. I'm, uh, you know, knock on wood. Why do you think um, that there is? Are definitely, uh, I, I just don't really have that luxury. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's 
does a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's true. You have to say, if you want something, don't ask a busy person, right? Uh, that is so true. It is so true. There's definitely times where I'm like, how am I going to get all of this done? But it just does. It happens. And um, I think because the clients expect it, you know, you just sometimes, sometimes I don't know, you know, I don't know exactly. I don't have a great idea, but I know, okay, this piece that I need to write for this commercial, I know that I want to use these instruments and I know that I want it to be this tempo. So you start writing with the things that you know, and then you fill in the blanks as you go, you know, and it sort of unfolds itself to you. I think it's easy to get really worried and overthink things, Uh but you know, after you've done it for a while, you learn to trust your instincts and uh you know it's it's pretty rare that my instincts lead me yeah straight. so now do you also get composing ideas like in the middle of the night what's your mode if you're mm-hmm. like out with a bunch of people what do you do you i just use my iphone and mm-hmm. um i just you know sing it into the little memo thing and it's usually more like song ideas it started when i was probably in late high school or college getting ideas and you know, I, I always thought, like, oh, I'll remember it later. And then I realized, no, I, I won't remember it later. Right. So I started writing things down, taking notes. And I probably have a million notes that I've lost and I'll never yeah. find again. But I you know, know what? Some of, them, some of them you do find and you do keep and you revisit them. And I've sold pieces of music that I wrote 15 years ago, you know, that started as a scrap of an idea 15 years ago. It's great when your previous self can help out your present self. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's important to not be worried that, like, your notes, or original idea, like, don't uh, scrutinize it too much. It's not going to be perfect. It's just the germ of something that you don't yes, want to forget. Exactly. That's so true. Exactly. So now you have multiple projects that you're constantly working on, and then you also are mm-hmm. a visual artist as well. So how do you schedule your time? How do you know what project you're going to bring to the front burner next? Uh, pretty much. I, I have deadlines just about every day for different projects, so it's kind of about what to do next. That usually okay. gets the uh, the crisis management. The <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, would you say your favorite project is usually the one that you're working on, or the one that you're just about ready to release, like sounds for a dinner party? Uh-huh. Or would you say that there are some pet favorites in your past of what you've done? I do a wide variety of different things between film, games, you know, art installation. I did a project this summer. My friend and he's an artist, John Hershen, I wrote a song and we got to perform it at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm, And that was very humbling and very fun, exciting kind of project. That's probably my favorite at the moment. Sounds for Dinner Party was probably my favorite before that. Okay. Um, You know, when I actually wrote it and recorded it and stuff. But now at this point, I'm just releasing it and trying to get it out there. And so this is also kind of where the business part comes in. Like, to me, the record's done. It's not fun anymore. I've already written it and recorded it, right? Creative part's done, right. Uh Yeah. And so now it's just about, okay, but I have to tell people about it and try and get (laughs) it out there, or else it's just going to sit in boxes in my house. So the favorite part just kind of varies. But no two days are alike. Yeah, not at all. I mean... Today I'm starting a new Google Doodle. I don't know if you know what those are, but when you go to the Google homepage, you know, sometimes there's different, like, drawings and stuff. Well, sometimes those are videos, like, that you can watch or video games. And so I score a lot of those, Um, obviously commercials. And I'm just wrapping up a film. Today I'm working on the mixes for a film that I just finished. And uh, I just signed on to work on a new TV show this week and another one starting up next week. So... Wow. Yeah, just every day does change, and especially with commercials because of the fast turnaround. Right. You really have to be okay with your schedule changing at a moment's notice because you just never know when those are going to come through like a 
like a Mack truck. Well, it sounds like you have the exact right personality for what you're doing. Yeah, you definitely have to be okay with uh, with things changing quickly and being able to just sort of uh, roll with it and uh, yeah. adjust. And also, that takes having a partner uh, like my wife, um, who can also handle that, because, of course, that bleeds over into your personal life. And yeah, she's quite busy with her career as well, which helps, but she's very understanding. Well, I think it's so important that your partner does compliment your lifestyle and your dreams. And when you can mm-hmm. find that, you know, you're really blessed. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Emmy Award winning composer Silas Height here on the Mulberry Lane Show. What do you hope people take away from Volume 1 Sounds for a Dinner Party? I hope that people think about the music that they put on and try and set the mood for themselves no matter what they're doing. I think that this is a great record for not only a dinner party, but for cooking, for relaxing, for just having some fun music on. It doesn't demand your attention, but if you listen to it, there's a lot of great ideas bouncing back and forth, if I do say so myself. (laughs) You know what? That's exactly when I have a dinner party or people over... That's exactly what I look for when I try to put like a mix together of songs. I look for something that's not too distracting, but still appealing. So I think that's a, yep. a great thing. Yeah, and especially in our distracted society, you know, it's nice to gather around music and converse and actually talk to each other rather than text. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm hoping that people are a little bit more deliberate with their choices. I mean, you know, when you plan a dinner party, the host makes deliberate choices about what they're cooking and why and setting a nice you know vibe and you know setting the table in a certain way and all these things there's a lot of thought put into it and this is an alternative to just hitting a playlist on spotify and not even thinking about it or throwing on whatever band is cool at the moment or or something that you love from the past and those are all fine options but this is just another option that's well, a little more bit more intentional, intentional. yeah yeah and it's, it's also a good conversation piece Well, Silas, we want to thank you for joining the show. We really enjoyed this chat, and we'll be putting your soundtrack on for our next dinner party for sure. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Yep, and we'll catch up down the road in one of your other exciting projects. Love to. Thank you. Pick up Silas Height, Volume 1, Sounds for a Dinner Party for your next gathering. Well, we want to thank Silas Height for joining us today and for sharing your creative journey as a composer. And then thanks and high fives to Jeff Timmons of 98 Degrees. Jeff, thanks for joining us today and for telling us about your upcoming concert on November 29th in Omaha at the Orpheum Theater. Don't miss it. Nick Lachey and all the boys of 98 Degrees will be there. And finally, a big radio hug to Mary Higgins Clark, the queen of suspense and New York Times best-selling author. Make sure you check out her latest book, You Don't Own Me, for some great thrills over the holidays. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's show. We sure enjoyed putting it together for you. We will see you same time, same place, same sister couch next week here on the Mulberry Lane Show. And make sure you stay creative. Both. Stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a wrap. Yeah, working out in a sled.